all right, I did it again. I let you sit down. I did the same thing at 9 o'clock. Sorry. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to complete this sentence with just two or three words. Singleness is. Now, if you're married, your answer cannot be what I long for. Singleness, <laughs> singleness is. All right, so you're going to stand again, yes, again, and you're going to tell at least three people, not more than five, introduce yourself to someone and say, singleness is, all right, go. Some of you are no doubt wondering what Sarah is doing up here. Gateway, this is Sarah. Sarah, this is... Sarah is not single, so why is she here? Well... For our next series of messages, we're going to be talking about connecting with our neighbors. And Sarah has something special to talk to us related to that, and she has brought a prop to help her do so. So Sarah, what's up? So the next service uh, series is called The Art of Neighboring. And to connect with our neighbors at home, at work, in your communities, there are a lot of people in Northern Virginia that you may live right next door to and never really have met. So in the act of neighboring, in the art of neighboring, we're hoping to connect with our neighbors and maybe sharing God's love and spreading the word. And we are going to be doing some herb plantings using egg cartons. And that is why I brought an empty egg carton with me. It doesn't have to be any shape or size, any egg carton, if you could bring next Sunday, we will be planting some herbs in them and then we will be sharing them with you so you can share them with your neighbors in hopes to meet new neighbors at your workplace, in your community, around town, wherever, and share God's love. So where do they drop them? Sarah, if they bring there is a carton. basket or a bin up front by the welcome desk for next Sunday or you can find me out and about and I will collect them from you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Sarah, are you up for reading the scripture for us this morning? I am. Okay. So we're going to be looking at a admittedly strange little passage of scripture this morning. Now it says some things about marriage, but we're going to be focusing primarily on what this passage says about singleness. So it will take some explaining and we're going to do some of that explaining. So let's hear God's word. You can often, we go old school, but we're going to remain seated for this. And we're going to let Sarah read for us from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 1 through 17. This is going to be from the English Standard Version. We usually read from a different version here on Sunday mornings, but this will be from the English Standard Version. Uh, follow along with us on your phone. If you have the Bible app or if you have a Bible, we'd love you to look or it's on the screen. Sarah, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 17. Okay. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have a sexual relations with a woman. Pause. Okay, I want you to notice that that's in quotation marks. We'll get to that in a minute. Go ahead, Sarah. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Like the husband does not have the authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourself to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Today's message is rated PG-13, by the way. Did I not say that in advance? Go ahead, Sarah. 
Now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one kind and one of another. Wow, pause. I want you to dial into that for a second. Wish that each were as I am, but each has his own gift, one of one kind, one of another. Keep going, Sarah. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that this is good for them to remain single as I am, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Hold on one second, Sarah. This is the principle on which we, in part, base our dedication of children here at Gateway uh, to the Lord, that they are, Paul considers them holy to the Lord. Okay, go ahead, Sarah. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Hold on. Verse 17, first part of verse 17. Read that again and then wrap it up. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Thank you, Sarah. So this is the last in our series of messages that we have called, This Is Us. So Gateway, this is us. Welcome. Look around you. This is us. Obviously, today we're going to be talking to those who are uh, single. Whether you are single or single again for any number of circumstances. But I also want you to know that we're going to touch on some things today that have application to all of us. I hope that this will impart, encourage us, and inspire us how to think rightly about our single friends, how to pray for them, but there is application for all of us in this message today, so don't dial out. Let's start with uh, just a, a dynamic article from WikiHow. I did a Google search this week, how to find a girlfriend, not because my, my wife was in the first service. I'm super happily married. If you don't know Diane, you should meet her. She's awesome. If you meet her, you'll know why I'm happily married. But in connection with this message, I googled how to find a girlfriend, and the first hit that Google gives is a WikiHow article on how to find a girlfriend, 10 easy steps. So I want to share with you the 10 easy steps from WikiHow on how to find a girlfriend, and there are pictures that go with each one of these steps. So there are four of these that I really want to draw your attention to, especially you gentlemen. This will be important for you, life-saving for some of you. Number one. Be comfortable alone, especially if you're wearing a t-shirt that says single and proud of it. So be comfortable alone. You don't have to try to act cool or try too hard, the article says. The second point is help someone. You've got to be sure that you're caring more than she is, man. Third step, and this is one that I really want you to dial in on. <laughs> Seriously, 
approach tons of girls on a consistent basis. I guess just the law of averages will eventually... Here's what the article literally says. Go out regularly and talk to a bunch of women. Supermarkets, libraries, malls, streets, social gatherings, any place where you think you might find girls. Step number four, avoid being afraid to fail. I mean, don't worry about being afraid to fail. Step five, another one that you need to drill down on. Step five is avoid giving yourself time to make excuses. And what you've got to see here is the, <laughs> the article underneath it says, when you see a hot girl, this is 2018, when you see a hot girl, don't make excuses. You have to try again and again and again to get good at this. <laughs> All right, number six, keep having fun. Number seven, this is my next to favorite one. Number seven says, be yourself to the extreme. And I want you to know, <laughs> look at this picture. I want you to notice which one of these they're affirming. They're affirming the guy with the check mark over him. He looks like he's, you know, he's, he's pouting or he's, I don't know what he's mad. Be yourself to the extreme. And the text says, if you don't find something she says funny, don't laugh just because she's laughing. Don't try to be something you are not. Step eight, network, of course, obviously. But step nine is my favorite. Step nine is take care of your physical appearance. And here's what the text says. Body odor, smelly breath, and greasy, unkempt hair are simply not attractive to most women. <laughs> Evidently, some of you are attracted to body odor and smelly breath, but most women, it's not a good thing. So increase the law of averages and you, so you can be able to most women. And number 10, practice genuinely complimenting girls. All right, so single people, you're welcome. Those of you who are guys, you should be more adept now. And uh, ladies, he's coming, so just get ready. Fortunately, the Bible has very different advice. A strange little passage that Sarah read for us this morning from Paul in 1 Corinthians. It tells us four really important things about being single. And as I said, there are some profound implications for all of us. So let me give you some background on this book and on this passage in particular. Most scholars believe that this letter that we call 1 Corinthians was actually the second letter that Paul wrote to this group of Christians. Evidently, he had written a letter, and they had responded with a series of questions. This letter is written in part in response to those questions. That's why verse 1 of our passage said, now for the matters you wrote about. And then he dives into one of those matters. One of their concerns, this concern of a man shouldn't have sexual relations with a woman, let me explain. One of their concerns seems to be related to the popular spirituality that was gaining sway in, in their church and especially in their part of the world. This spirituality is usually called Hellenistic dualism or Greek dualism, and it would become the foundation of one of the most popular spiritual movements in the ancient world, Gnosticism. According to Greek dualism, there are two modes of existence. There's physical existence and there's the spiritual world. And the key to spiritual health and happiness, according to this Greek dualism is to recognize, to know, and to remember that the physical world is evil. Therefore, pleasure is to be avoided because pleasure attaches you to the physical world. So you should strip yourself of pleasure so that you could be all about the spiritual world. Now, you should know that this kind of spirituality has more in common with Buddhism than it does with, with Jesus. And Paul rejected this thinking in this passage. So when Paul says it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, he's quoting them. And his response, if you remember, is essentially this. Look, 
It's not about denying yourself for the sake of denial. It's not about asceticism. This is not the way of Christ. We don't prove our spirituality by self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice is never an end in itself. It may look spiritual, but it's not. Self-sacrifice is always and only to be used for a time as a way to create space for God in our lives. So, flat out, don't stop having sex if you're married, Paul says. And if you're single, don't deny yourself if this becomes too burdensome. Get married if you need to. That kind of denial will not help you spiritually. And let's be honest, this kind of denial can be very hard. That brings us to observation number one about singleness. So the first of our four observations. Number one, singleness can be hard. Okay, sorry. If you're single this morning, you may not need to be reminded of this, but the rest of us need to admit it and know it along with you. There are really two reasons why singleness can be hard, and we should be mindful of these. One of these is in the passage directly. One of them we're going to parachute outside of the passage and look at the larger biblical landscape. So first of all, Paul tells us that sometimes people cannot successfully remain single and maintain purity. Sometimes sexual temptation is too much. So I want to be clear. God is not a fan of sexual intimacy apart from a committed marriage relationship. Now, I know that's old school, but it's true. And those of you who are single, I want to tell you something really important. You need to know that sexual exploration outside of marriage, study after study has demonstrated this, does not statistically improve your chances of a healthy marriage. So the number one reason singleness is difficult is sexual abstinence is difficult. It's hard. Number two, let's step outside of the passage for a moment, and let's be honest about this as well. Marriage is a great gift to human makeup because we need community. And a good marriage offers easily accessible, built-in, healthy community. It takes more work for a single person to maintain that kind of community, the community for which we're built. So singleness can be hard. Okay, a little aside, a parenthesis to those of you who are single. Look, we're all prone to loneliness. You're not lonely because you're single. The rest of us need to be especially sensitive to the loneliness of our single friends. And if you're single, you need to pay attention to this part of your soul. You need to build important, life-giving connections. I know I'm not telling you anything new, but I'm reminding you, you, you need these connections. Singleness can be hard. A few weeks ago when we started this series, our first two messages were about marriage in the This Is Us series. And after the first series, I was in a conversation with just me, Diane wasn't with me, there were two or three other couples and a single person there. We're talking about various things. Somebody said something about the message and somebody made a joke and I don't remember. Anyway, everybody left the single person still there. The single person said to me, you know, I can't do this. The world is just designed for couples. So those of us who are married this morning, let's be mindful. And especially, especially if we live in the American suburbs, northern Virginia suburbs, it can feel like the world is designed for couples. Singleness can be hard. Point number two, to counteract point number one, observation number two, singleness, even though it can be hard, is a gift. You remember? In verse 7, Paul said this, 
I wish that all of you were as I am. He will tell us two verses later that he's single. But each of you has your own gift, implying, of course, that his singleness is one of his gifts. Each of you has his own gift. One has this gift, another has that. He's talking about singleness here when he mentions gifts. He clearly sees singleness as one of the gifts that he's been given by God. We're going to talk about why in a few minutes. Now, sometimes this word gift means something like a present that God gives us. Sometimes it suggests something else. Sometimes it's like a way in which God has touched our lives or even a God-imparted capacity or a movement of God in us. And Paul means both of those things here. Singleness is a gift, both in the sense that it is a good thing that God gives us and in the sense that it's a work that God is doing in our lives and through our lives. Singleness is a gift. Years ago, some of you know that before we moved to Northern Virginia, Diane and I pastored a church in Boston, and, and it was an urban church in a very poor neighborhood in Boston. And one of the things that we did as part of our work there and our years there, we would run camps in local parks for little kids. And we did these camps for the most at-risk families in our neighborhood, and I mean literally, you know, like the crack mom. And they would come and just drop their kids off in the local park, and the city of Boston had asked us to do this. So the city of Boston would provide free lunch and free breakfast for these kids every day. But the program was too big for our church to staff, so we would bring in groups from outside of our church to staff these parks for us. And we developed a relationship with these churches over the years. Sometimes churches would come year after year after year. We had a relationship with a church in Richmond, Virginia that came several years in a row to staff our summer camps in Boston. And very early in this process, Diane got pregnant with Jordan. This was our first child. And of course, I had no idea what I was doing. And I didn't know anything about anything that was in any way, anywhere near related to children. So the church in Richmond wanted to give us a baby shower. We were not in the kind of community where anybody was going to give us a baby shower, and they were just really generous and thoughtful. So they arranged for this baby shower, and they were going to have it on a weekend, fly us both down, have me preach in their church on Sunday morning, and then afterwards, big baby shower. It's a large church. So we find out the week before we're supposed to go that because of where she was in her pregnancy, Diane could not fly. So I had to go by myself. So I go to Richmond, Virginia by myself, and I preach in this church, and afterwards, they steer me down to the fellowship hall. And there are hundreds of people in there, tons of gifts, and, you know, awesome gifts. This is great. So I sit down. I'm the center of attention. This, this is 1890, so this was before the days of videotaping, but they audiotaped it, and Diane got endless hours of satisfaction from listening to this audiotape because I opened up hundreds of gifts, and I had no idea what any of them were. <laughs> I would open up a breast pump, and all the ladies would... And I would go, oh, thank you so much. No idea what, this had, what it was even related to. And anything that I could think of, you know, wasn't decent. So I had no, no idea what this might be. Present after present after present, I didn't get it. We'd throw all these things in boxes, ship them up to Boston, and it saved our lives. They, of course, gave us reams of stuff that we would need that were very, very useful to us, but I had no idea what any of it was. Singleness is a gift. You know what that means. Among other things, if you're single, I'm talking to you. 
Among other things, that means that sometimes, sometimes when we can't find a marriage partner, it's because God has something better for us. Listen, single people, it's just often the case that when you can't find someone who will love you, you tend to think something is wrong with you. You're tempted to think it's because you're unattractive or you're in the wrong place. But listen, that is just objectively not the case. There are far less attractive people than you that get married all the time. And I know that that is a stupid man way of thinking, but it's true. And I want to tell you what's even more true. It's the truth that God tells us that singleness is a gift. It may be a gift that you think you don't want, but, and I'm sorry to bring out the old religious theme here, but I need to. This is one of those places where we have to trust God. Maybe the work you need to be doing in your life is not finding a partner work. Maybe the work that you need to be doing is building your trust muscle. Instead of spending an enormous amount of energy swiping left and swiping right and figuring out the best places to go and the best way to dress yourself up, maybe, maybe we need to be dialing into how we increase our connection to Christ. Listen, I'm talking even to high schoolers, and I know that we've got some in here this morning. If you don't have a, a date partner or whatever it is you guys call those things these days, then enjoy your singleness and work on your trust muscle more than your wardrobe. Work on your trust muscle. Single people often spend an enormous amount of energy working on not being single. Put that energy into trusting God. Singleness is a gift. Observation number three, we have an assignment. This is for all of us now. In verse 17, here's what Paul says. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. We tend to think of ourselves as in control in much of our daily lives. Our daily routine affirms that illusion for us. But every now and then, we are reminded that this is an illusion. And I don't need to convince you. You know it. We are not in control. What Paul says here is not easy, but it's important. You have an assignment, and don't rail against your assignment. And for many of us, our assignment is difficult. And for all of us, none of us gets to be the person who doesn't have difficult times that have been assigned to us by God. You have the financial crisis and health concern, dramatic health concern at the same time. You discover that your child has special needs. You're single and it's getting later in life and you can't figure out why. Don't rail against your assignment. Now, I'm not trying to create stoics out of all of us, but I'm just trying to affirm what the Bible tells us. Number one, don't rail against your assignment because it doesn't do any good. Number two, God is good. He has our best in mind. Sometimes it takes faith to believe this in the toughest of circumstances. But we must exercise faith in that direction. We have to exercise our faith toward believing that God is good. We have to exercise ourselves in the direction of trusting Him. Here's, here's that trust muscle thing again. Let's be honest for a second. I'm not saying that you can't complain to God. I'm not saying that you can't complain against God. And when you do, you're in good company. Jeremiah did, Moses did, David did, and that's the Hall of Fame in the Old Testament. You're in good company when you complain against God, but you're not in a good place. This is not where you want to be. 
You don't want to stay there. It's ultimately unproductive, it's untrue, and it's a spiritual cancer. I want to repeat, your complaints are unproductive, they're untrue, and they're a spiritual cancer. So the longer you cling to your complaints, the worse you feel. If you're in that place today, I want to strongly encourage you to settle this matter as soon as you can. Here's what I mean. Sometimes these complaints are inevitable. And it's, it's certainly not better to push your complaints underground so that you don't even recognize them because then the cancer just spreads. Okay, obviously at this point, I'm talking to those of you for whom faith in God is a settled matter. You're in. If you're looking in today, looking in from the outside, you're not sure exactly where you stand with that. Thank you for being here today. I want you to know, though, this is the direction that God is pushing you, in the direction of trusting Him fully. This is where we're all headed. So as soon as you can, push beyond your complaints and your bitterness and move into the place of trust. Do whatever you must to get there. I know that's a trite, trivial way to say it. We don't have time this morning to talk about how to do that. But do whatever you must. That's another sermon. I just remember a couple of things. Number one, remember that God is good. And number two, remember this also. If you're single, this is a practical thing, but remember this. The single you is the married you. Let me tell you what I mean. Marriage will make adjustments in who you are. Hopefully most of them are good. But the basic structure of your personality and your worldview and your basic level of happiness don't change. The single you is the married you. So if you're single this morning, work on your singleness. Work on the single you. Final observation about singleness today, and this is going to have some implications for all of us as well. Singleness offers us more spiritual freedom. Singleness offers us more spiritual freedom. So now I want to read the end of this passage from 1 Corinthians 7, and I'm going to read verses 25 through 35. And let's go old school if we can and stand out of reverence for God's Word. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 through 35. Some spiritual aerobics. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give you judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, and what he means by that is the, the age in which we live. We're living in the age that's the end of times. God is going to bring an end to history, and we are in those times. Because of the present crisis, I think that it's good for a man to remain as he is. Okay, are you pledged to a woman? Well, don't seek to be released. It's fine. Go ahead with that. That's a great relationship. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives, and, and here he's beginning what what Jesus sometimes did, he's speaking hyperbolically, but he wants to make a, a profound point. Look, from now on, those of you who, who have wives, you should live as if you do not. Those of you who mourn, as if they did not. Those of you who are happy, as if they were not. Those who buy something, as if it was not theirs. Those who use the things of the world, as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. Now he's getting to his main point. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. 
But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. You may be seated. There are advantages to singleness. Chief among them, you can be totally devoted to the Lord. You don't have some of the worries that married people do. I went to a seminar a number of years ago in Phoenix, Arizona. I remember clearly, I was 41 at the time, and I remember this because this guy offered a word that obviously I still remember it today, and this was 104 years ago. He said, he's, he was a futurist. So his whole talk was about, you know, what life is going to be like in 2020 or 2005 or 2030. It's a fascinating talk. Lots of stuff about technology, lots of stuff about culture. At one point he said, okay, all of you who are under 40, stand up. And I lied and stood up. And he said, okay, you, medical science is advancing so rapidly. And the way we treat the body and what we're able to do, what we know about nutrition, advancing so rapidly, I'm going to suggest to you, those of you who are under 40, many of you are going to live to be 90. Not only so, but you're going to live to be 90 productively. More importantly, the people you pastor, and that's some of you, are even more reliably going to live to be 90. I want you, for God's purposes, because it's honoring to God, I want you to think about your lives completely differently. I want you to organize your lives differently. Here was the mind-blowing thing for me. He said, this whole business of retirement, that's an American idea. That's not a biblical idea. God doesn't know anything about retirement. He said, I want you to think about your life, and I want you to train your people to think about your life in thirds. Divide your life into thirds. I want you to think about the first 30 years of your life as all about training and education. The second 30 years of your life, that's all about family and career. The final 30 years of your life, that is all about God's kingdom. That's all about laying in heavily for the work of God. Well, the interesting thing about that is the emphasis, right? What he's training us to do, what he's training us to think about is the penultimate thing in our lives, the thing toward which our entire life is pointing is not me on a golf course. The entire thing toward which our life is pointing is serving God fully, being fully devoted to God. Again, if you're outside of this faith business, that's a little weird for you, but I want you to know that's what you were made for. And that's where God is taking us, all of us. That's the penultimate thing in our lives, being fully devoted to Him. This is a way of thinking that God is trying to breed in all of us, including those of you who are single. And if your thinking is dominated by, how can I be most devoted to the Lord, then it will likely not be a problem seeing singleness as a gift and using that gift wisely. Because that's God's aim in our heart and our lives. All right, before we quit, I want to dial in some application points. So what does this mean for us? Four things. Number one, 
This means that all of us, all of us, we have to think differently about singleness. We can't keep wondering when single people are going to get married. I was thought of this just this morning and talked about it at the nine o'clock service. We were at a family thing some time ago and somebody single that is related to me was asked and you could tell that they were being asked for the 700th time. This wasn't one of my children, by the way. Uh, you could tell that they were being asked for the 700th time. You still single? So they gave what I thought was a great answer. Somebody also related to them said, you still single? And they said, yeah, you still married? Because I suspect people get tired of answering that question. Those of us who are married have to honor singleness and single people. The same way we honor marriage. We have to honor God's assignment, not our expectations. If this is someone's assignment, we will need to help them. It's hard. It has challenges. We know this. Let's work with them. And if you're single, this means you have to start taking advantage of your singleness, not wishing yourself out of it. And if you're single, honor your singleness. Recognize its challenges, but not with bitterness. Recognize by exercising the trust muscle. Okay, the second thing I want to say is not on the screen. I'm going to take a hard left turn here, go in a weird direction, but I think it's applicable. Please don't send me emails about this this week. You can wait for when I actually do a teaching on this. We're going to have a lengthy conversation about what I'm about to talk about. I'm just going to give you a really short giddy up this morning about it, just a teaser, but I think it applies in this conversation. I know some of you are going to be aghast, but stay with me. Again, I'm not going to build a case for you this morning, but I'm going to share this with you because I think it's applicable. I think this teaching, this idea, this conversation, what Paul says here, I think it has application for those who are gay. I think this helps us understand the way forward for those who are gay. Let me explain. I don't believe the Bible affirms same-sex intimacy. I believe it's not God's best for us. And I think the Bible makes that clear. I also believe the church, God's people, have been guilty of creating shame for people with this appetite. And I believe we've been complicit in driving them into the shadows for generations. I don't blame them for being mad at Christians. We should have been defending them and creating space for them to ask hard questions. This is the place for hard questions. And we've spent generations driving hard questions out of this place. But I also believe that their hard questions have hard answers. Answers that would be hard for me to hear. I believe the answer for them is to honor their singleness and to choose celibacy. I think that's the way forward for them. And I think we are the lone voice that can speak that with power and with integrity and freedom. And I think the church has given up that voice by speaking often judgment and shame. But I believe there's a message in this for our culture and for those who are uh, gay. Okay, for all of us. Leave that behind. I know you're knocked out by that weirdness. Leave that behind because the last point you can't miss. The last application point is our lives are about the thrust, the, the emphasis, the thing, the thing about our lives is leaning into God and seeking his kingdom first. 
That's what we were built for. That is what God is doing in us. That's the point. The key is not, for example, like these Corinthians, practicing asceticism to be as spiritual as I can be. The key is not to rid our lives of pleasure. God invented pleasure. Nor is the key, of course, to randomly and wantonly pursue pleasure. The key is exercising our trust muscle, constantly, consistently working on leaning into God and accepting whatever assignment He has given us. Let's end with this. Once when talking about worry and concern, Jesus offered His followers the following lesson. So He's talking about concern. He was talking about worry. And he says this in uh, one of his messages, Matthew chapter 6. So why do you worry about clothes or mortgages or your investments or your children's sixth grade? See how the flowers of the field grow? They They don't work themselves up and labor and spin and go nuts. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow's thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Here's the punchline. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given you as well would you stand with me and let me close this in prayer so father i don't believe any of us are here by accident today and i don't know why you have drawn each of us i don't know the message that you have for each of us but i trust your capacity to speak and i pray that you would break open our chests and massage your truth into us. We get so wrapped up and so worried and so involved in uh, uh, finding someone to love or once we've done that and getting pregnant or if that happens then our kids being perfect or the house looking like this or the career going this direction and Father we recognize this morning that most of that is at least unhelpful and it might be wasteful. So today, I want you to hear us today because today we remember that <laughs> today we remember that we forget all that. And we lean into you. We exercise our trust muscle. Hear us. Father, I want to pray especially this morning for those here that are single. I pray that you would empower them, equip them to receive this gift for for however long the season is. That they would exercise their trust muscle and learn and grow in you. I also pray, Lord, for those of us who are wandering today, we're not uh, spiritually connected. I pray that you would grab our hearts and (laughs) allow us to drive a stake in and stand on it and 
let you lay claim to our lives because you're so good. And we acknowledge that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you can be seated for a sec. Even let's bring those lights down for a sec. All right, this is, we're going to end this morning with a beautiful song. So just sing along with Rebecca. If you don't know it, it's a beautiful melody, but you got to sing because it's awesome, choir. And the quiet and the stillness, Dean, give us those words. I know your God. And the secret of your presence, that's where we're restored, not in getting whatever it is we think we want, the promotion or whatever. You call, I won't refuse. There is no one else for me, none but Jesus. There's no one else for me, none but Jesus. I said this a couple weeks ago in the marriage lesson, but I had a good friend who years ago told Diane and I, he had gone to a wedding just recently, came home laughing his head off, told us that at this wedding, the groom had sung a song to the bride, which is awesome. That's really cool when that happens, when you're able to. But the song that he had chosen to sing was the old hymn, I'd Rather Have Jesus. So (laughs) there he is with his bride at the altar singing, I'd Rather Have Jesus. Beautiful song, not the right time for it, but this, this is the right time for us to sing, there's none but Jesus. So we're going to sing that like we mean it. This is going to be a declaration of faith this morning. Rebecca's going to help you. It's beautiful. Spiritual aerobics. Let's stand again. And we're going to do this choir. So let's go.
Thanks so much for being with us here this morning. Have a great Sunday.